Welcome to the Live, Sell, Die podcast. Welcome to uh, Coffee Chats with Brownie. We're very lucky here this morning to have Tom Saunders. Now, Tom has uh, just won the former class laser ILCA 7 class. Is that right, Tom? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the Ilka uh, World Champs, which were in Barcelona. Uh, firstly, what sort of coffee do you have? I'm running a long black at the moment. Long black, yep. I'm a macchiato because uh, I'm trying to go from real fat to less fat. <laughs> so, Tom, obviously, um, I know your lovely parents very well, Rosemary and Peter rung up Peter after you won and um, what do you think his first comment was after he was like that was great you know what what his first comment was about you winning probably about time yeah was, like why did it take so long so <laughs> um, so probably had a um, a bit of an upbringing you're the middle of three kids is that right yeah I've got a older brother uh, Jace two years older and a younger sister Jen, who's two years younger. So. Yeah. Was it ever very competitive growing up in your household? Uh, yeah, extremely. Um, yeah, if you know Jace or myself, we're extremely competitive, particularly with each other. Um, yeah, we do anything to beat each other. So having that rivalry growing up was um, was pretty cool, and yeah, it definitely definitely helped me growing up, as I was always comparing myself to him really and just trying to beat him. So that was my main objective yeah and um are you guys still competitive do you compete against each other now because how old are you guys now early uh, late yeah, 20s early 30s on. yeah we'll, we'll leave it at that um yeah. but no we yeah anything we do um, whether it's at the moment golf squash uh he's right into the winging at the moment and trying to get me into it um and of course we did our iron man earlier in the year so yeah, any chance when we're in the same place, we try to get out for some sort of a game and and um, yeah, give it death. Oh, nice, nice. Hey, um, so you're from Tauranga originally, um, and Tauranga's obviously got a, a host of great great yachties, and there was a lot of you that came through at the same time. So we had, um, I remember actually doing a couple of starling camps down there, and I think over like quite a few years towering a one every starling nationals for a long time so you had um peter burling you had sam meach you had your brother jason yourself you had um bruce and darren kennedy uh zach murden was a little bit after you guys i think um but you had a really good squad there what made that squad growing up so competitive because it wasn't just the junior classes you guys all did well you look back at the 2016 olympics and and um you know and and going on even from there you know there was a lot of the towering of people there's obviously molly a little bit after molly meach after sam as well you know what was what do you think growing up you know back in the in the 90s and, and 2000s, what made that club so special with that group of sailors? 
Yeah, we're very fortunate to have such a good group all coming through at the same time. Um, and we definitely had some very supportive parents. Um, but in saying that, most of the parents didn't have any idea about sailing, which is quite ironic, other than uh, Richard Burling. But yeah, it was a really, really cool group, and we just had a really cool environment. Um, and we just really enjoyed being on the water together and learning off each other. I think that was a, a big thing for us. Um, we didn't, yeah, we didn't get a lot of coaching. We might have, yeah, got a few coaches down once or twice a year, like yourself. Um, but yeah, just really power to the group and just having that fun environment and just really enjoying the freedom on the harbour with each other. Um, and yeah, we're always like myself and Jace, very competitive. The Kennedys probably even more so. <laughs> um, so we certainly wanted to beat each other and any chance we could get on the water with um, with them or even if they're not on the water, that's probably even better. We're like, well, we can get one up on each other here. So it was just a healthy, competitive environment. But we certainly had a lot of fun um, along the way. And then, yeah, we had some good success, which just sort of fueled the group along and yeah, it's continued right through to yeah. our career. You say it's a good environment, but Tauranga Harbour's shallow, tidal, pretty shitty place, really. Let's be honest. You know, <laughs> does did that have anything to do with with the success of of that group and or anything like that? I mean, it's yeah, it's not an easy place to sail. And it can be quite limiting with yeah, the sandbank that seems to be growing year after year. So you're actually running out of water sometimes in low tide. Um, so, yeah, we learned to deal with, um, yeah, a lot of sailing with a lot of current and some pretty tricky conditions. So whenever we went away, it was almost a lot more simple and we could we didn't have to worry about current. And that probably, probably helped us at a young age, that just dealing with um, a lot of different things and learning about how yeah, tides work and, and so on. Yeah, so you might say you became a bit smarter sailor earlier on from that environment. Yeah, I, I definitely agree, yeah. Definitely yeah. helped. And back in those days, we didn't have, you know, some cool apps that we have on our phones. Now we didn't even have smartphones, I think. Like, how did you guys all get sailing together? You said you had supportive parents and all that, but I think one of the those tricks was... There's only really one dinghy yacht club in Tauranga and, and you were all together and you guys were sailing and girls were sailing heaps. Like, how did you guys organise it? Was it smoke signals or, or how did you guys get out there and did you just have a plan or was it pretty organic and you just rock up every day at the yacht club? Uh, probably more so just everyone started rocking up, um, particularly after school, just rushing down and trying to get out on the water. Um, but as we got a little bit older, a lot of us went to Tauranga Boys College. Um, so we were all at the same school. And yeah, we all biked in because um, it was, seemed to be fast to get down to the yacht club and that was what it was all about. So we'd, we'd uh, sometimes try and have an excuse to leave school early, five minutes early, just to get one up on each other and, and race down to the club on our bikes. Um, and it just became a routine, basically, just... Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday afternoons, sometimes Monday with, with some school sailing, and then yeah, every weekend. So it was, we didn't really need to communicate. We just knew if we're down there after school, there's going to be other people there. 
Oh, nice. That's awesome. Eh? So you said that there wasn't really any coaching and, you know, it was power to the to the sailors, to the squad. Um, how Did you guys have any mentors or anyone helping out? Or was that down to the parents or, or anything like that growing up? Yeah, Richard Berling, um, he, he knew a lot about sailing and he knew a lot about what was happening around the country, particularly in Auckland. But we had no idea at the time that there were events going on in Auckland and that there were national championships. We are just out there having fun. So he sort of led the, led the way there with Pete uh, and Scott, his older brother. And that, yeah, just sort of opened our eyes a little bit um, to having a little bit of structure. And, um, yeah, so he definitely had a big influence on the group and getting us to events and... Um, and then, yeah, having some success and started looking further ahead into the future about, you know, what events are happening around the world and there's, you can make a career out of sailing and that just, yeah, I put a lot of that down to Richard Berling. Awesome. So you started um, traveling a little bit and, and you're quite successful in the um, old P-Class, I think it was, was it 397 your boat? What was your boat? Nine. 942, 942. X-rated, so yeah. one of the local Tauranga successful boats still there. And um, then you, did you win the Starlings as well with the long success of, I think you got a Kennedy boat in the end, didn't you? Yeah, Kennedy boat, yeah. One, one of two. That, yeah, Norwich Kennedy, built. yeah, one of the nicest boats I've ever seen built. I'd agree, yeah, haven't seen it around, but hopefully it's still out there. Yeah, and, um, and then... Um, you then did sail with your brother for a year or so, yeah? Yeah, in the 420 we did a campaign for the Youth World. Nice. And then um, obviously travelling a bit, you became, um, I guess, quite good mates and you had a, um, I remember you sailing a little bit with Chris Steele in a 420. Yeah, I, yeah we paired up um, after my year with Jace. Um, once he decided to go down the laser route, actually, quite ironically. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, Chris and I, we, we were always very competitive growing up, um, racing each other with sort of arch rivals in some ways through the Opti uh, Starlings. And, but, yeah, we linked up. But with Chris, like, he could win a world champs, but he could never win a nationals. And, and I think you were sort of the, the other way. You could win a nationals but didn't quite get there, you know, at the Opti Worlds or something like that. And I think Chris is still the only one to win an Opti Worlds from New Zealand. Yeah, he, yeah, that was, that was his thing. Um, he, he crushed that Opti Worlds. Um, I might add that I wasn't, I missed that year on, I was doing 420, so things could be different. I could have been different. <laughs> so how did you guys settle the score? You know, he's a, he's a world champion. You're a national champion. I think he's only just won his first nationals few years ago um so how did you guys settle that score like um was there other sports that you two played together or anything like that yeah we he was from westlake and Taranga boys westlake rivalry they used to come down with sport exchanges so i actually played them in soccer quite a lot too as we're both part of the junior a teams and and then moving through to the senior stuff um so but i yeah i did a year with my brother um, the year before, which I missed the Opti, and, and we managed to win the 420 Nationals. So 
had a lot more experience helming. Yeah. Um, and Chris, obviously, coming off the back of winning Opti Worlds, we linked up, but we decided to go with me helming to keep that consistent. And he's uh, pretty fit and fit at the time, so crewing sort of set quite well for him. Um, but in saying that, the, yeah, there's two hounds in one boat doesn't always work out. So. <laughs> but but I hear that um, your golf games were quite competitive uh, between yourself and Chris. Yeah, still are. I'm actually going out this afternoon with him. So yeah, we yeah, it's a rivalry. Yeah, like kind of like my brother situation. We we do anything to try and get one up on each other. And golf is a um, very very strong game for us, and we both really enjoy it. And it's we love getting out as much as we can, and that's, um, that's so, still going. So over the past 15 to 17 years, would you know who's won more games? I would say it's pretty 50-50. Um, we'll definitely go through periods where he'll have my number or I'll have his. Um, but I'd say it's pretty even um, on the whole. Yeah. yeah. And um, what's uh, that's very diplomatic of you, uh, <laughs> of you Tom, with uh, Chris. And um, what what's your handicap in golf? Uh, haven't played a lot this year, but uh, we get down to single figures, um, depending on how much we play. Yeah, hopefully I get a bit of time out um, on the course this summer nice. and try and get those numbers down. That'd be good. And um, going back to competitiveness and, and your brother, you say that you're still competitive with your brother and you did an Ironman earlier this year. What was that like? So that was, I'm guessing, after the Olympic selection, you wanted something else to do, or, or how did that come about? Yeah, obviously quite disappointed missing out on Tokyo Olympics. Um, Sam got selected, uh, I think it was March last year, and then obviously COVID hit and the Olympics got delayed, and yeah, I just needed some time away to process everything that had just happened and um and i also needed a bit of bit of a distraction to um work towards something else something quite different and just take the time away to think about my future and that was a um something i'd always really wanted to do and yeah it was as good as time any to try it um and that was yeah it was an amazing experience i definitely wouldn't change it it's helped me a lot in my career and and in life yeah, it's quite amazing where your mind might wander when you're out on the road um, or running or swimming or wherever you're training. Um, and, yeah, it's amazing what you can do with your mind. And, and it was a very, very, very cool experience um, to, to go down to Taupo and share that journey with a lot of other people. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of competitors and there's, everyone's got their own reasons why they do it. Um, and it just makes that atmosphere very special. So, so remind me again for us mere mortals, what does an Ironman consist of? Uh, it's a 3.8k swim, 180k bike, and a 42.2k run. So you can't just rock up and, and do that. Like, what was your what was your training? So obviously, um, March Sam Sam gets the selection, um, and and then you mentally and physically need need another challenge obviously as you've just said so what do you do like you know what was your training regime and and did you go into it 
full on? Did you have any goals? What was your thoughts on why you're doing Ironman? Yeah, I spent the best part of probably eight months building up for it. Um, I sort of I had a goal in mind, which was to go under ten hours. Um, early on, I, that was pretty unrealistic, to be honest. I was just sort of training, making it up as I went along, and then the more training I did, the more obsessed I got, or more addicted. And yeah, I joined a North Harbour Tri Club, um, and that was a pretty cool community to to be a part of. And a breath of fresh air, really. There's just no egos and everyone's out there trying to put in the work and everyone's happy for each other so that was that was pretty cool um but yeah we're doing some pretty big weeks um yeah probably my longest week of training was up to 30 hours um so doing that for yeah six to eight months yeah it's took a lot of work and it um was pretty consuming didn't do much else at that point um but yeah just the more training i did the more obsessive i got and well, we really wanted to put my best foot forward and I, that's something I've always done throughout my career just if I'm doing something I'm all in and yeah obviously having Jace signing up as well was was a big driver um, definitely got me out of bed in the morning so did he just decide to do it because you were doing it and he wanted to beat his younger brother or, well, or what what was the story there it's quite funny that? actually I, I I signed up first and then after a month or two he he told me to join Strava so he could monitor my training. Oh, yeah? Uh, so I think he was looking at my training and then he was obviously training off the record at that point and seeing how he compared and he obviously was confident with how he was going. So he finally decided to sign up and then he joined Strava as well and yeah, everything was all open and we could see what each other was doing because he was in France at the time. Yep. So so he, um, he was had quite a measured approach. Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. He, he, he definitely wouldn't have signed up if he didn't think he could beat me because, yeah, yeah, that's something he's always had over me on the fitness side of things. So it would have been a big blow for him to for me to get him one over there. Yeah. So um, 10 hours to to do a, um, a nearly a 4K swimmer, a um, 180K bike, and then to top it off with a marathon run, that... That sounds like it was a pretty big goal. How did you go? Uh, 9.58. Nine, oh, mate. You still had two minutes. Easy. Yeah. Easy. Easy. Yeah, Easy. It was like I was always, I'd look at each event individually. I'm like, well, I could probably swim under an hour. Um, I could probably do five hours, 20 on the bike. And, yeah, I could go under 3.30 in a marathon. But to put them all together and, and plus transition time. Um, which we didn't really take into account. There's quite some long transitions between T1 and T2. So, yeah, it got, yeah, obviously cut it fine, but, um, yeah, I was pretty happy to, to sneak under. Nice. And um, just with COVID and disruption and, and um, there's been a lot of talk about that with sport, wasn't the uh, Taupo Ironman um, postponed? It was postponed a month, and that was... We, I was doing a two-week taper at the time. I was a week into my taper, um, expecting to race the following weekend. And then, yeah, that was the second wave of COVID, uh, which the event got, well, postponed. And we didn't know when it was going to be postponed or if it was going to be cancelled. So that was, uh, yeah, I was um, 
couldn't even didn't even know what to think. All that training, I was like, well, I'm not even going to be able to do it. And then they did delay it one month, so um, it wasn't ideal. With we had to, I was looking for, I was enjoying the taper to be honest. I mean, to, go, <laughs> to go back into two more weeks of full training was mentally quite challenging, but um, you'd come this far, so what's another month? Yeah. So and so, how has has all that experience and that extreme training for something like that helped in in your sailing? Definitely helped. Um, more so, yeah, a lot with mental toughness, and yeah, like I said before, it's amazing what you can tell your mind to do. Yeah. Um, but also on the other side of that, recovery is obviously very important, and and nutrition side of things. Um, they say nutrition is the fourth leg of an Ironman. If you and probably the most important, if you get that wrong, um, yeah, your, your day's gonna fall apart pretty quickly. So just making sure that you are fueling your body right during the training and obviously the race um, you certainly notice that if you don't get it right you're going to suffer um, over the next few days and you've brought that into your your sailing because sailing can be long days <coughs> you might not be you know pushing your body so much but you know yeah long... I, I know at your your world you had some long days even not racing yeah certainly long days and it goes over a week like our regattas are six days long, uh, so it's it's very important. Yeah, if you if you're not um, as fresh as you can be on day five or six, you're definitely going to notice that. So it is important, and and yeah, like we have a lot of delays. We did this year at our World Champs, and we did a lot of double sessions actually, which is something we haven't done for a while. So we'd be racing at nine a.m. The wind would die out around midday. Would come in have a couple of hours and the wind would fill back in and we'd go back out so and for lunch yeah perfect yeah back yeah. to back to the off days yeah so you um so you did a couple of years in the 420 and your brother who um who i know reasonably well through being a double-handed sailor chased the single-handed so what happened after that how did you guys swap over that he started focusing on double-handeds and you went the single-handed route yeah i think at the end of the day, I, I, I'm a bit of a, I like to be in control and sailing with another person that's, um, can be quite hard to not have full control of your campaign or what you want to do. So that was probably a big reason why I switched back to the single-handed. Um, I like to do everything myself and it's all up to me. You've got no excuses if, if you don't perform. Um, and, and yeah, Jace, he was um, basically just a bit too small for the laser. Um, they didn't have radio at that time. It was just full rig. And so he, yeah, he made the decision to switch back to the 470 with Paulson Hansen and, and yeah, they went off to London Olympics and pretty close to the medal. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So let's um, skip forward a little bit. You've, uh, how many campaigns have you done for the Olympics? Yeah, two full campaigns. Rio was my first one, and yeah, Tokyo. That was obviously a, still pretty fresh. So this would be my third one. Yeah. So um, it's quite funny being you know on the sidelines of of a, of the Olympics and and um in a coach boat, you don't see that many very young talented sailors perform. There's a lot of experience that that comes with it. Um, 
and you know all these all the sailors that are doing it at great yachties um what do you think you've learned sitting here today from when you were fresh-faced thought that you'd take on the world and beat the world as a 20 year old what how did how you know what what are your thoughts now like compared to then experience wise yeah when you're coming out of the youth stuff um yeah i was quite successful through the youth and yeah you don't totally realize how how hard the senior level is and how much goes into it um yeah everyone works extremely hard and that and that obviously shows so you got to try and mature pretty quickly like it's a bit of a shock to the system it was for me anyway to jump up to that level um i certainly got smacked around quite a lot and you really have to take um notice of what a lot of the good guys are doing and how they go about their campaign and about their training it's very um very focused and very thought thoughtful about how they plan everything out so that's probably a big thing that i've learned um and how much goes into it behind the scenes everyone's sailing on the water but if you're not that efficient of what you're trying to achieve on the water that's that's where you can go you go wrong so to make sure you still always have a goal in mind of what you're trying to achieve each day is yeah is really important something that i've sort of focused hard on particularly this last um, few years yeah and um so this time obviously COVID and and being in New Zealand, you know, we've had a bit of a fortress in New Zealand with having to quarantine on the way back and all that sort of thing. I think the last time I saw you was Easter in April. Um, what were your movements from there? You went overseas for a long time. Um, what were your thoughts behind that? Were you already thinking then about the laser worlds or, or what were you thinking sort of after you did your, your um, Ironman and, and a little bit of work and you were, um, we'll get back to it soon, but you know, you were on the uh, race committee team or the um, laying the marks for the America's Cup. Um, so you had those commitments and then you quietly slipped overseas. What were your thoughts there? Were you already thinking of the Laser Worlds, your next campaign? What was your process for going overseas and knowing it was going to be a long time? Yeah, I was always, I'd always had the laser worlds in mind, even when I was training for the Ironman. Um, I had a bit of a a process of of how, when I do get back in the boat, how it's going to look and what I want to do. Um, so yeah, it was definitely always in the forefront of my mind of how, how to go about that. And then, yeah, since April I got back in the boat uh, and did a bit of training at home with Sam and we went to Cairns and Aussie um, as they build up for, for the Olympics. And, yeah, I just made the decision that um, I'm not going to get a lot out of staying in New Zealand as it was, COVID was, with travelling and there just wasn't much happening and I really needed to, to get away and, and get involved with some other racing and sailing with some other people. That was a, that was a big driver of mine to try and learn and upskill and that was the best way forward because Europe was the only place that had that that had that to offer and so yeah I just wanted to get out of my comfort zone really and and try and take on the year and um, 
yeah, Europe was the perfect place to do that. So um, you were helping helping Sam out. Um, good, you know, from the outside, you guys have got a really good laser squad here in New Zealand and, and quite helpful. So um, so you were doing that a little bit. And then when did you decide to go to Europe? Yeah, so like I said, we went to Aussie mid-June and we were there for two weeks and then I went straight to Europe from there. So early July right through till almost end of November. So that's... Uh, Quite a long stint. Yeah, quite a long stint away from home. So, how did you did you do anything else other than your laser sailing over there, or or what were you, you know, how did you fill in your time? Got you five five odd months there. Yeah, well, I was trying to chase some other sailing, um, so I was making a lot of cold phone calls and emails and to try and put my name out there and get involved with some other things. Um, Liv was over there with Sal GP, um, so that was nice to have her in Europe as well because um, she had a lot of downtime in between events. Uh, so we tried to set up a bit of a base in Lake Garda, um, a beautiful spot to be. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, probably yeah. a good time to introduce Liv, so who's Liv? Yeah, Liv's my girlfriend, um, has been for a few years now. So Yeah, so it was awesome to have her in Europe. Um, that made things a lot easier being away from home because um, it can get you know, quite lonely if you don't have a lot of friends or um, family over there. So that was a big help. Um, and yeah, we tried to keep it fresh and Europe was sort of business as usual so we could go traveling and um, plan a few holidays in between events and training camps just to keep it all fun and and see more, more of the world. So um, you're saying you're trying to set up a, a little bit more sailing. Um... But I hear that Liv, you know, obviously had sailed GP and I saw a few WASP events and and she um, had quite a few sailing opportunities, didn't she, while you guys were over there? You guys aren't too competitive with each other, are you? No, no, no. We're, well, yes and no. We <laughs> are, but we're, we're happy for each other and what, um, the opportunities that we both get. So, yeah, she definitely had a lot going on with sail GP and uh, did some ETF sailing, which is another smaller foiling cat. And she had a wasp, which was awesome. So I got to use that a bit. Um, but I got, I got, I think I bent or snapped the wing bar, um, as laser sailors do. We like to pump. So I got in trouble there. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, that was that was awesome to to get that falling experience as well. Um, yeah. yeah. And um, then roll on to the Europeans, and um, you had the Europeans, and you got a good result was that your best result you had in a europeans or a, or a laser event or yeah it was my best result in a laser europeans um i've had a few better finishes on some world cuts but not not much and that was yeah that was a real eye-opener um i started off pretty rusty it was my first event in a while so i sort of struggled through qualifying but managed to come right through Goldfleet and and that was yeah, real confidence boost of moving forward. That um, I think I was first or second in gold fleet alone. So that was a yeah, big confidence, like I said, um, moving forward to the worlds, and that was helped my decision to actually stay in Europe because I was meant to be heading home the week after. Well, why is that? Is that just through our MIQ system? You couldn't get another spot, or yeah, 
couldn't get another spot. Yeah, thirty thousand Kiwis trying to fill three thousand rooms don't quite fit. So that was a bit, that was a bit of a risk to yeah, because I could have very well been staying in Europe till the next year. Um, so that was quite a big decision in the end to to risk that and not be able to get home. But yeah, obviously it worked out. So pretty happy I did it. Yeah. And um, where were the Europeans? A place called Varna in uh, Bulgaria on the Black Sea. Um, not a venue I'd recommend as a holiday spot, but uh, the sailing was, was good. We had a lot of good breeze, some good waves. So, um, But yeah, quite quite dodgy place. Is the sea black? No. Salty, though. Salty. <laughs> and um, you were saying that Europe was business as usual. Did you have many COVID scares or did you, you know, have to get tests all the time? Or, or how was it for everyone sitting in New Zealand and, and all that sort of thing? How, how was it over there in, in Europe for you guys? Certainly a lot more relaxed. Um, I think New Zealand built up this stigma that how, or overhyped COVID. Like, obviously, you don't want to get it. And, yeah, some people are getting badly affected and, and dying and things but um, it was certainly a lot more relaxed and they, they were pretty quick to get on to the vaccine passes rapid tests so anytime you felt any symptoms you'd get a test and you'd know in 20 minutes like that's been there all year um, but yeah I did I did get the flu a couple of times but it turned out it wasn't COVID um, which was quite ironic but luckily for me yeah but some talking to some of the other sailors, like we didn't know anybody who who had COVID, and then going over there is like, do you know anyone who's had COVID? Oh yeah, I had it last month. So like it was just a, a normal thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And what about at regattas? Was there anything that you had to do specifically, get tested each day, or anything like that, or they were just pretty relaxed with it all? No, they're pretty relaxed. Um, we we were wearing masks um, in the boat park and things, but. Like you have to get a negative test if you want to fly and um, travel. Some some restaurants and stuff, you have to show your vaccine pass, but certainly, yeah, definitely not as strict. And then, um, so coaching over there, um, you had Mike Bullo, who had gone over for the um, for the Moth Worlds in Lake Garda, and, yep. and um, I guess luckily for you, didn't, get an MIQ spot yeah and and um he was over there how did how did all that work out have you worked with Mike previously very much uh not from a coaching standpoint but um yeah he's he's obviously done the laser before and I knew him fairly well training against him so I knew he'd be a, a great fit and yeah he couldn't get home and I knew he was over there so yeah I contacted him before the Europeans if he was available and which he was which was and he was really keen to come out and help and yeah he couldn't get MIQ so he's stuck in Europe so he ended up coaching for the world as well and continue that relationship was yeah very valuable awesome and um and I hear that Mike's still over there yeah he's skiing at the moment somewhere uh, in Europe living the dream Living the dream in Europe, eh? From moth sailing to ski to a bit of laser coaching to to skiing. Yeah, not a bad life. Not a bad life. Yeah, but he is coming back soon for 
for summer. Yeah, he's back early January. Uh, he flies in, so he's he's been in contact still. So he's he's missing his boat in the New Zealand summer, but can't complain being skiing. So he'll get a bit, the best of both. Great. So um, so just last few things. So on on the competitive side, um, what about your younger sister? Where where's where does she fit in to to you growing up and and competing and and all that sort of thing? She she is competitive, low key competitive, um, but yeah, she's probably growing up a lot faster than us. Um, she got married earlier in this year. I've just bought a house, um, got a full time job. First to get a degree out of the family, so she's she's got a few milestones that. Yeah, Jason and I certainly don't have. Um, so she's, yeah, on the other side of things, she's she's doing very well. Um, so, but yeah, she she is competitive um, with with us, and she always likes to take digs at us. That yeah, I remember a social I, degree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember a social media post when she did um, when she did get a degree, just to say, you know, just to remind everyone, she's the first in the family to to get a degree so so that leads me on to something else you've got to I guess forego quite a bit doing this um this Olympic sailing um and obviously you know when you're doing the hard graft um you know it doesn't really pay that well you know until you're you're right up there and and yachting New Zealand does give great support um, when you're in their squads and everything, which is you know amazing what what yachting New Zealand does, and then high performance sport comes on with what's called a peg grant, personal enhancement grants. But um, what else do you do to supplement you know your income and and what you get from um, those great um, supporters? Like what else do you do to to help live and pay for your rent and food and all that sort of thing? What what else have you been doing lately with your time? Yeah, like you said, we don't um, we don't do it for the money. That's for sure. Just the yeah, love and passion of the sport uh, with the Olympic stuff. But I, I do enjoy a lot of coaching, and that's something I'm passionate about, and um, continue to do so while I'm at home. I was working yeah with Wapiteri, the Opti squad, this last few years, and yeah, I'm still involved with some of the youth. Um, Aon clinics so that uh, helps pay the rent and, and the bills um, but yeah I was very fortunate uh, earlier in this year to, to be involved with the America's Cup with the race management side of things um, Matthew Mason was the one that um, sorted me out there which was yeah pretty cool and that, that actually turned out to be from coaching as I was coaching as a kid at the time so just those small circles um, you never know where they might lead so that that was pretty cool to to be a part of the America's Cup closest thing to being in a team I suppose as, as you could be without being involved um, so that was yeah made some bit of money there but yeah just try and do as much coaching and fit that in around your, your own sailing it can be quite difficult and um, do you think that yeah your coaching and and that race management thing do you think that's sort of helped you in a way as well but like yeah Ironman's helped you yeah the race management thing was just 
gave you a different look on on how well you get to see on the other side of how they go about their uh, their business. So that's quite interesting to yeah to go into the finer details of what goes into a course and how um, detailed it can be. Um, yeah, I got a lot of respect for the race committee there. It's a thankless job, really. If they do a good job, then yeah, they so they should. And if they don't, well, we're all pretty quick to complain about it. So. <laughs> um, and the coaching side of things, yeah, like when I'm explaining things to the kids, it definitely forces me to think about what I actually do. So you just it just becomes a habit. So when I actually have to think about uh, this is why I do it and explaining why. Yeah, it definitely probably helps me in some ways. And I guess with coaching kids and opties and all that sort of thing, you've got to keep it pretty simple as well, don't you? So it may help with the simplicity of, of sailing. Yeah, yeah we're, we can very easily overcomplicate it. There are a lot of variables and, and things, but at the end of the day, you just got to get your boat around the track a bit faster than somebody else. So that's always important to realise. So... um. Finally, we're supposed to talk about the, the laser worlds, and I guess we'd better finish off with that. Um, six days? Six days, yeah. Three days of racing? Three days of racing, eight races total. Eight races total. How many in Goldfleet? Three. All on one day. All in one day. So, and you, was that on the last day, or was that, did you, was that on the second to last day? Yeah, second to last day was our first day of Goldfleet. We needed uh, four races minimum to complete qualifying. And the first day got um, cancelled due to no wind. And then, yeah, we didn't complete. We had th- we'd done three races after three days, so we had to do another day of qualifying. And then, yeah, day five was the first day of Goldfleet. And we had some good breeze and got three races in. And then, yeah, last day we were hanging around. It was good breeze, but really big swell. And for those that haven't been to Barcelona, got to sail out um, through a break wall entrance, and there's some um, some good waves coming through, breaking through that that channel. So, um, so pretty unsafe to. So to yeah, get unsafe out there. to launch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how, where were you sitting going into the first day of Goldfleet? Going, I think I was third going into the first day of Goldfleet. Yeah. Um, and what was your, obviously, um, I guess you didn't know that the last day was going to get called off. How were you mentally going into that day saying that you were first or second in Goldfleet from the Europeans? Were you feeling pretty good or you weren't thinking about anything or... How did you approach that day? Because you had a pretty stellar day that day, I remember, looking back here on the results. Yeah, it's certainly... I, I really enjoy the gold fleet. Um, I feel like that suits my strengths and my sailing. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm quite good at course and fleet management and playing the percentages. It's, and particularly on an offshore day, it's all about consistency and yeah for some whatever reason I've, I've seemed to struggle through qualifying because um, you sort of need the ones and twos and that um yeah i'm guessing i'm a little bit risk adverse and just putting playing the numbers game um but yeah going to golf yeah i'm, I'm always 
pretty confident and just heading into that day I was just very calm and trying to stay present and started with a lot of freedom with my decision making um, yeah Mike and I simplified things down um, quite a lot and that just seemed to take some pressure off and just to stay present and continue what I was doing throughout the week um, don't need to overthink it and yeah had a, had a really good day it's probably the best day I've ever had so um, something I need to continue doing awesome and um, lastly how was your coffee it was good I know I'm not sure what beans these are but um, like I'm not a I'm not a coffee snob but I still drink Edson in the morning so do you <laughs> Awesome. Thank you very much, Tom, for your time and um, and listening. And, and in two weeks' time, we'll be coming with another one. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>